Welcome back to the We Know Ball podcast. My name is Jasper Lindsay. Joining with me, as always, is Gavin Bowman. Gav, are we excited to talk some football today or what? Couldn't be more excited. AFC preview, college football week one is officially upon us. We're going to be diving some picks, I know, and I, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, so just getting an official slate going here for y'all today. We got the AFC preview to start, breaking down all the storylines headed into the 2023 NFL season. Then, of course, after a few teasers in week zero, we finally have arrived at week one of the 2023 college football season. We'll start by previewing the biggest games of the weekend in Monday. Then we'll hop over to some players to watch for the weekend and wrap up our show with some of our favorite picks on the slate. Hopefully win y'all some more money. We're sitting 8-1 currently as a podcast, so let's keep the train rolling. Let's keep it rolling. Notre Dame and USC with some wagons last weekend. Absolutely. So jumping over to the AFC first, by far, Gavin, one of the most interesting conferences in football this year. Nearly every division is up for grabs in one way or another, so let's jump into the AFC North first. On paper, this could easily be one of the best divisions in football. You got the Bengals, who come in as favorites to win this division, with talent all across the offensive side of the ball. They got the addition of Orlando Brown Jr. to beef up that offensive line, and more importantly, Joe Burrow's blind spot. The O-line has been a problem for the Bengals since Joe Burrow got to Cincy, but if they can play well, Joe Burrow's record in games where he sacked less than three times, 17-3. Yeah, and that's that's the name of the game for this Bengals team this year is keeping nine upright. I mean, they invested their future into this guy, and to this point, it's worked out. They're going to be deep. We know that. They've got one of the more complete rosters in the league right now. Um, talent all across the field on offense, and the defense is getting better every year. They selected Miles Murphy in the, in the draft this year. I think he'll be an instant upgrade to that defense, and it comes down to keeping nine upright, just like we said. If that's the case, they will be in the Super Bowl conversation come February. Absolutely. He does have the calf strain, which he's expected to play week one, but you're right. I mean, the defense, it's business as usual there. You got Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard holding it down on the D-line. Lead tackler Logan Wilson will continue to make stops at the middle. You lose Jesse Bates, but a guy I'm excited to watch this season, Dax Hill back at safety. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the loss of Jesse Bates. That hurts, especially. He's a guy that I feel like is the heart and soul of a team sometimes. Brings energy on the field, and he will hurt that defense. But you mentioned Hendrickson shoring up that line, getting pretty much everybody else back. And then Orlando Brown, the sign of the offensive line, going to be huge for this team moving forward. I expect them to be serious contenders in the AFC come playoff time. Easily, if not, get back to that Super Bowl. All right, jumping over to a team, though, that hasn't made a Super Bowl yet. The big story for the Ravens this offseason was obviously the Lamar Jackson contract drama, but they were able to work things out, sign him to a five-year, $185 million guaranteed contract. They also bring in new old seed Todd Monken to help revamp this offense that became really predictable under Greg Roman. Sure, and I think the not signing, it was a draft pick, but the per, the player that's going to have the biggest impact on this team is rookie Zay Flowers. You know, you, you mentioned the Lamar saga being a storyline this offseason. Well, the storyline from the previous four or five offseasons was can the Ravens get Lamar talent around him? And they think they've done it this year. It's still yet to be seen. Brandon Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, and obviously Rashad Bateman returns. Mark Andrews still there, obviously, a top three tight end in the league. This is probably the most weapons that Lamar's had his entire career. It's time to step up and really live up to his potential. Yeah, what's your outlook for this offense this year? I expect them to be even more dangerous than they happened in the past, and that's saying something because you have Lamar on the field and you're automatically a dangerous offense. They don't need to do a whole lot to be good. They need to do a lot to be great. Only two teams last year gave up fewer points per game than the Ravens. Those two teams with the 49ers and the Buffalo Bills. The Ravens defense is going to be good again this year. It's going to be very good. It's going to be elite. Can the offense set the tone, score points, and let that defense cause havoc, I think is a story of their season. 
I'm right there with you. I really love what they got going on defense. I'm really excited to see what Kyle Hamilton can do in year two. I think he's going to be a monster. Rokon Smith will continue to be one of the best middle linebackers in the league, and I love the pairing of him and Patrick Queen. Defensive front is a little bit of a concern for me, though. They have, they did lose some talent, but they went out and brought in Jadavian Clowney. Do you think that's enough to help this D-line produce? I do. I do. And it's because of the supporting cast in the secondary. You just mentioned Kyle Hamilton being an absolute unit. Roquan Smith doing Roquan Smith things. Those two guys are going to be centerpieces of that defense. I expect them to give up in the ballpark of 20 points a game again this year. And in a loaded AFC, that is more than phenomenal. Yeah, I could easily see them in the 9-10 to 10 win range. If they're able to run their offense more effectively, that could even go high. They could probably even compete with the Bengals for this division if they really get rolling on offense. Yeah, well, you mentioned when the show started that this is one of the deeper divisions in football, and you're absolutely correct. I think all four teams can compete for this division title. That's something we'll be talking about with more than one division in this loaded AFC. Yeah, jumping over another team I think we can compete is Pittsburgh. The bottom line for this team is they're always going to be contenders as long as Mike Tomlin is calling plays on the sideline. Jumping to their offense, there's a couple of reasons for Pittsburgh to be hopeful this year, and it starts with improved play from Kenny Pickett, who I gotta admit, I've really been able to change my tune on. I think he's gonna be a lot better this year. I think George Pickens is, will also continue to progress and eventually take over as the lead playmaker in that receiver room. Deontay Johnson's a little lackluster, and obviously Chase Claypool didn't work out there, shipped him off to the Bears. Not entirely sure what to expect out of the Bay Area kid, Najee Harris, but if he can become a consistent weapon for this offense, they have the potential to really run up the score on some teams. And it'll take some pressure off Kenny Pickett as well and not try and play hero ball with that arm. I am really excited for Kenny Two Gloves and Company. Even more excited, I think, for Najee Harris. You said you don't really know what to expect out of him. I expect a huge bounce back here. I'm picking him up in every single fantasy league right now, and here's why. He hasn't had a consistent offensive line to really allow him to do his work as a big-time running back in the NFL so far. That's different this year. The Steelers went out and they signed Isaacs uh, Sumalo, an experienced offensive lineman, and they drafted Broderick Jones. Have you seen Broderick Jones play football? He is a man amongst boys. This guy is 6 feet 8 inches tall, 350 pounds. He is an NFL tackle and then some. He's going to be an instant crucial part of the offensive line. You mentioned the growth of Pickens, wide receiver. I expect him to take big leaps forward as well. Deontay Johnson is a sure-hand receiver to, to rely on coming down the stretch. Pittsburgh will take leaps forward this year. And as you mentioned, they have Mike Tomlin, Colin Plays, one of the best head coaches of all time, and still right now uh, one of the best in the league. Watch out for the Steelers. They are, they are a surprise sleeper team that could make a serious run on this division. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think for me, the biggest impact they made in the offseason was on the defensive side of the ball. They vastly improved the secondary going out and bringing in Patty P. They draft Joey Porter, and they have Mika Fitzpatrick back there. They're going to be just fine in the secondary always. TJ Watt is entering his prime. He's just got to stay healthy. I mean, if this team can stay healthy and get after the quarterback, that'll open up more opportunities for the secondary to play aggressive. And when the Steelers play aggressive football, it's hard to beat them. Yeah, bring back the steel curtain, man. And you mentioned TJ Watt. He has depoy-type ability and, and when he's on the football field. Defensive player of the year, I'm talking about, obviously. I hope he stays healthy. Man, if healthy, I expect him to absolutely wreak havoc on any opposing quarterback that the Steelers have played. Yeah, exactly. And I think they have the eighth easiest schedule in the league right there, which gives them a boost, and that'll allow them to clean up a lot of the question marks I do have for them on offense. Obviously, I expect Kenny Pickett to be better. Do I think he's going to get into that elite level of play? No, but... If he's even just, if he's better than a game manager, I think this team can make leaps and bounds. Yeah, and we, we mentioned all the talent around him, or the growing talent around him, and that's going to help his progression and take a lot of the pressure off the second-year quarterback. Jumping over to the Browns, you mentioned each team can compete in this division. The Browns are easily the biggest mystery team in this division for me. By far the biggest question mark for this team is Deshaun Watson, who after coming off his 11-game suspension, put up an atrocious 38.3 total QBR in six starts. If he can play like the QB he was in 2020, 
they'll be a legitimate contender. They went out and added Elijah Moore, who I think might be proven to be one of the more underrated pickups of the offseason to a receiving core that already features Amari Cooper, already features David Njoku. The riding back room will never be a problem with Stefanski's offense. Nick Chubb will continue to dominate on the ground. The offense's ceiling is Deshaun Watson's play at quarterback. They'll be as good as he is. Sounds eerily similar to what we just talked about with Baltimore and keeping Lamar Jackson on the field and how far to take this team. If the Browns can squeeze out 90% of what Deshaun Watson was in Houston, this team's going to be scary. Because you mentioned the rest of the receivers, not the receivers, the rest of the weapons on offense. Mari Cooper, Elijah Moore handling that receiver room. I agree. I really do love that pickup for them and Elijah Moore. And then Nick Chubb, who, who he, he is probably the best running back in the game right now. The most, not the best, but Chris McCaffrey got the title, but maybe the most explosive. He has take over the game kind of ability. What can Deshaun Watson do? We're about to find out. And if he lives up to what the Browns paid him for, they are going to be serious, serious contenders, not only in this division, but in the AFC conference. Exactly. And as much as Deshaun Watson play, I think, plays a factor in this team, I think defensively, there's a lot of questions for the dog pound as well. They have all the talent in the world across the field with Miles Garrett, and then they go out and add Zadarius Smith to get after the quarterback. You look at the secondary, which features two first-round picks in Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom. However, the squad has been plagued these past few seasons by underperformance, ranking in the middle of the pack to the back in most defensive categories. Which, with the talent on the defense, they should be at least breaking the top 15, top 10. So, what they do, they went out and brought guys that are going to help change that. You get Dalvin Tomlinson, Obo Onkoro. I practiced that name like five times <laughs> on the way over here. I think I still got it wrong. But most importantly, they add Jim Schwartz as defensive coordinator, who I really think is going to make this defense reach its true potential. Couldn't agree more. Love the hire there. Love the pickups, and Miles Garrett lining up opposite of Zadarius Smith is a quarterback sports nightmare. We just talked about TJ Watt and the kind of presence he brings to the field. Well, imagine two TJ Watts. Not exactly, but you know what I'm getting at. This is a duo that combined for 26 sacks and 151 pressures last year. Just them two alone. And in a division which features the likes of Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, going to be huge to have that pass rush causing havoc. I've used that phrase a couple of times now, but that's that's what this division is. Absolute havoc right now. Yeah, and I think the one stat you missed between Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith is one helmet smash on a head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this team's extremely talented, but also extremely volatile. At their best, they're a playoff team, and at their worst, they have the ability to finish last in this division that's loaded with talent and for that reason I currently have them in last in my final standings projection just because they're a prove it to me team. I got the Bengals coming in first here, the Ravens in second, the Steelers in third, and the Browns rounding it out. Similar mindset to you. One and four we agree on with the Bengals up top and the Browns at the bottom. Like you mentioned, a lot of question marks on that Browns defense. In my opinion, the biggest question mark at quarterback in the entire division. I would rather take Kenny Pickett this year with the environment he's in as opposed to Sean Watson. So for that reason, I got the Bengals at one, Browns at four. I do have the Steelers and Ravens flip-flopped, though. I got the Steelers coming in second. And the only reason why is because I really don't buy into Lamar Jackson getting all his weapons and all of a sudden improving his play. He's a top five quarterback in the league, in my opinion. Has been for a long time based on pure talent. But I don't think his ceiling is much higher than what he's done so far. And I don't think adding weapons to the offense is going to help him in that regard. And for that reason, I have the Steelers finishing at one game above the Ravens this year. And I could easily see that happening. I just think with the Ravens, I think they've proven to me that they can do it before, and I think they're ready to go all in as a squad. John Harbaugh, I mean, I mean, what do you think his seat's looking like if they don't win this year? And that's not like win it all, but at least make the playoffs, right? Sure, sure. I mean, it's 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 hot, especially if the team stays healthy, right? Because they've been riddled with this injury bug the past couple of seasons. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins can't seem to play more than four games at a time. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's injury concerns. So if this team stays healthy 
there's no reason they shouldn't win 10 games. I'm still bullish only because it is the Ravens after all, and I've come used to them disappointing me. I'll see it. I'll believe when I see it, but if the uh, if the roster stays healthy and they don't perform, John Harbaugh is looking at a very hot seat. And hey, recency bias is our best friend on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of recency bias in the AFC South, our next division to cover. Gab, yeah, it seems like everyone and their mother is picking Jacksonville to win this division, which I think they very well may. But I want to remind everyone that there is a universe where this team doesn't improve as as vastly as people believe. Now, it's not going to be because of Trevor Lawrence. The kid can ball. There's no doubt he will put up similar, if not better, numbers in last season. My concerns come from his supporting cast. Everyone loves this Calvin Ridley trade, and I do too, but this this is a guy who hasn't played football in a year and a half. I expect there to be some rust he has to shake off for the first couple weeks, similar to Deshaun Watson. There are also holes on this offensive line. Juwan Taylor left for KC. Cam Robinson is going to be suspended four games for PEDs. Lawrence is going to be great, but you have to give him time to throw the football, and they struggled to do that last year. I agree in the fact that the roster around Trevor Lawrence isn't as great as people might think. The Jaguars remind, not remind me, but I feel like they've been getting similar hype as the Jets in the regard as the media is pushing their roster as better than it actually is. Will they win this division? Yes, because it is probably the softest division in football, maybe with the exception of the NFC North. However, I don't think that their that their floor is one playoff win, like everybody says it is right now. I think their floor is getting to the playoffs because they will get there, but I want to see this team take that next step. We obviously saw the incredible 27-0 comeback last year against the Chargers. Fluke, in my opinion. Great, great game, not a fluke on the Jaguars' part. Fluke in the sense that that's not going to happen again. Yeah. They're not going to come back from a 27-0 deficit ever again. If they find themselves there, they're not winning that football game. I love what they're doing on the defensive side, though. And that's why I am still high on Jacksonville. Yeah, you got Trayvon Walker. I expect him to take huge leaps forward this year. And also, Doug Peterson. You can't say enough good things about him. He's got the Super Bowl win under his belt. He knows what he's doing. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence can ball. This team's good. I don't think they're great yet. I really do hope they prove me wrong, though, because, as you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence is a baller and want to see him take his step forward, too, and become really one of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm right there with you, but the defense is a bigger concern for me than it is for you. This is a unit that ranked 26 last season, and I don't see a whole lot out of them that led me to believe they improved. Josh Allen and Walker seem to be the only reliable pass rushers for this squad, and the secondary is not good enough to make up for that lack of a pass rush. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on that. I, I do expect them to take a step forward this year, which is the reason I bring up the defense and them being okay. They were bad last year, though. There's no, doubt, there's no doubt about that. We're going to have to see them improve if they want to win that playoff game that everyone thinks they're going to win, but still bullish. Similar to, similar to the Ravens, bullish on the expectation people have set for them. I'll believe when I see it. Yeah, and I'll, when we get into this final standings, there's going to be a little surprise for me, but I will say that I am a believer in the Jaguars' ability to win this division. They just got to show it to me. Yep. And a reason for that is the team I'm worried about the Jags being chased by, and that's the Tennessee Titans. I think Derrick Henry still has some juice in those aging legs and will be back to all-pro form. Tannehill finally has another weapon to replace A.J. Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, who will take a lot of the pressure off Traylon Burks, allowing him to improve. The offensive line is still an issue, absolutely. But they went on they added depth to shore up that offensive front. So we'll see just how much they're able to improve. I expect them to improve a little more than people think. I may be very well wrong. Defensively, I think they're a much more complete unit than the Jags. They shore up that defensive front in the offseason with additions of Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry. I expect them to excel at stopping the run this year. And given their talent in the first two levels of the defense, I absolutely think they can. They'll be great against the run. What's pegged by them in the past and what will continue about them is that secondary. It's subpar. But the Titans are the Titans. You know what you're getting. 
It's Derrick Henry or Bust on offense for the most part. I think DeAndre Hopkins signing, I'm not as high on it as you are, only because I do believe he's aging. However, it does open the floor for a Traylon Burks to take that next step forward, and I do believe he will. I think you're right. They're going to be nipping at the Jaguars' heels. I don't believe they get to that point, but in a division with not the strongest quarterback play, you look to Houston and you look to Indianapolis with two rookie quarterbacks. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a phenomenal quarterback, but my point being... The secondary doesn't need to be phenomenal to get wins in this division. My concern is the offensive line and how it can hold up and keep Derrick Henry and Brian Tannehill healthy. And also with the selection of Will Levis in this draft, I can't help but think that Rand Carthen, the general manager, has his eyes set towards the future a little bit. However, this is their last chance to do something good with Derrick Henry and get to the playoffs and make a deep postseason run. So they will be committed to that. And Mike Vrabel's an underdog. We know, we know how that turns out. So watch out, Jacksonville. Watch out. Definitely, it, it's it's not a sure thing to win this division. Tennessee's right there looking to snag it from them. Yeah, and I think Tennessee could have won this division last year if Tannehill just stayed healthy. I mean, the only reason I think they really lost to Jacksonville in that final game for the division is the fact that they had to run Josh Dobbs out there at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tennessee also lost seven in a row in the second half of last year, and that was detrimental to their season. So yeah. they won't do that again this year. They'll be more consistent, and if everyone stays healthy, a real shot to dethrone the Jaguars. Yeah, and you mentioned the Texans and the Colts. I kind of just put these two teams together because I think they're pretty similar here. For the Texans and the Colts, I really want to highlight that I'm excited to see which young quarterback can make the biggest impact in year one. I think Anthony Richardson has the potential to be a human highlight reel, but will obviously have some serious growing pains as he gets caught up to the NFL speed, especially given his play at Florida last season. As for the Texans, I love the hire of D'Amico Ryans, and I think the Texans are finally headed in the right direction. They added two of the best prospects in the draft, Will Anderson and CJ Stroud. They also have two young, exciting receivers in Nate Dell and John Mechie returning after his battle with leukemia, who I'm very high on. Both of these squads are going to struggle, but have some reason for hope for the future. Yeah, I'm definitely higher on the Texans than I am the Colts. The Texans remind me a lot of what Detroit was last year. You bring in a new head coach who everyone seems to love, a new head coach who will change the culture in that clubhouse from day one. But yeah, a lot of young talent. You mentioned CJ Stroud, Will Anderson, absolute masterclass by GM Nick, Nick Casario getting both of those guys in the draft this year. You mentioned the rookie wideouts, not the rookie wideouts, the young wideouts. They pair nicely with veterans like Dalton Schultz, Robert Woods, and Noah Brown. The Texans seem to just take the entire Dallas sweeping core. And you get Devin Singletary as a, as a versatile and veteran running back helped CJ Stroud back there. The Texans, I have them winning six or seven games this year. And it's 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 a long shot, but they, I, I do believe D'Amico Ryan will make an immediate impact and help this team take steps in the right direction. They're still a couple of years away, as are the Colts, but really, really excited to see what Houston can do and maybe pull up a couple of wins against teams that they maybe should. Teams like the Jaguars and teams like the Titans. I'm right there with you. I think they're going to be not competitive, but better, mm -hmm. and that's all you can really ask for for this Texan squad who was kind of under the fingers of James Easterby for the last couple of years. <laughs> we all know how that ended for them. But yeah, jumping to the final standings here, I got the Tennessee Titans winning this division just for a little recency bias. The Jaguars and second until they can prove to me that their defense is good and their offensive line can hold up. Then I have the Texans and rounding it out as the Colts. Yeah, three and four we agree with. One and two I'm flipping. I just want to see this Titans team stay healthy and maybe develop a little bit more versatility on offense. If you're going to keep it one-dimensional with Derrick Henry in this uh, AFC, which is riddled with great quarterback talent, I, I do believe that's going to be a concern. Jags, Titans, Texans, Colts with the potential for flip-flop in the one, two, and the three, four. Oh, same here. I think the 1-2 and the 3-4 for me are very floppable. But uh, speaking to a, talking about a, T or a conference or, yeah, a division that isn't that floppable, 
Once again, we have the AFC West, and it's the Chiefs' divisions to lose, and they won't. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter who's in his receiving core. He's proved that he can win last year regardless. However, he does have a lot of fun options this year, Gavin. Sky Moore looks destined to improve. Kadarius Tony showed flashes of what he can be last season. And Justin Ross is going to be a sneaky guy on this offense, man. The kid can stretch a defense. I'm, I'm so excited to see this Chiefs offense. And it's, it's not because of Patrick Mahomes. It's because of the wide receivers you just mentioned. Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, Justin Ross. These are guys that are incredibly explosive. Not the most physically overpowering guys, but guys that, you know, I can see the Chiefs running a lot of those pass run plays where they just ditch it to Canary's Tony really quickly and give him some blockers and let him go. Andy Reid's going to be cooking up some just incredible plays. Cannot wait to see what this team does. They will win this division. They are the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. And I expect to see them back there come February in, until another team can prove to me that they can seriously contend with this team. Yeah, same here. And the only concern I have for this team, and it's just so minuscule, it's this Chris Jones holdout. It looks like it's going to be extended to the regular season play now. He's even taken to Twitter to say his holdout will last through week eight if it has to. This guy is a leader on the defense, and this could allow them to be exposed at times throughout the season. To their detriment, no. But this is still something of concern for me. Definitely worth monitoring. Kansas City got a lot younger in their front seven around Chris Jones this offseason, which is great for the long term. But Jasper... Kansas City has zero Super Bowls if Chris Jones doesn't exist. He has been the centerpiece of that defense through this entire dynasty, because that's what they are, this dynasty of a run they've been on. They need him. He's their leader on defense. They need him in the middle. If this holdout persists, like it has the potential to, you're absolutely right. That is going to be a huge problem for them. I don't expect the holdout to continue. I believe that Kansas City knows <laughs> just how valuable this guy is in the middle causing havoc. They're going to have him back on the football field in no time, and Kansas City will be just fine. I think so, especially if they get into game one and see the hole that he leaves on that defensive front. But as you said, this team will be great, and with Jackson's home, Mahomes looking a little prison time, Pat, they'll have one less distraction on the field this year. So I think they'll be just fine and win this division easily. Jumping over to the Denver Broncos, and they're entering a new era this season, which they were entering a new era last season, but we had to <laughs> switch things up again. With Sean Payton taking over for Nathaniel Hackett. Now, he's talked a lot of smack this offseason with how his team was run last year and how he hopes to take it to the next level with respect to 2022. Can he do it? I don't know, man. I don't know. There are question marks around what, around this team, whether it's with Jerry Judy can be the guy for this offense. We still don't know if Javante Williams will be the Alvin Kamara do-it-all back we've seen flashes of. And of course, there's Russell Wilson, who I don't know if a coaching change will really revert him back to the player we saw with the Seahawks, who dominated for a decade. Most of Russell's success was predicated on his ability to get outside the pocket and make plays, as you very well know. And I don't know if he can still do that, and if he'll be able to make the adjustment on being a pure pocket passer. What are you thinking here, Gav? The Broncos' ceiling is so high, but their floor is so, so low. Last season was probably the most dysfunctional season I've seen from a single team in my lifetime. Like, we expected the Broncos to be competing with the Chiefs last year, and they came out and they were the worst team in this division. I, I think the ceiling and the floor are the exact same this year. Sean Payton is a guy that's gonna change the culture instantly. I like that hire a lot. But you mentioned, you know, Russell Wilson being the quarterback of my team, the Seattle Seahawks, for the past near decade, and going over to Denver and in year one, looking like a completely different person. Was part of that the dysfunction with Nathaniel Hackett? Probably, but I think most of it was simply regression from Russell Wilson. 
He's getting older. He doesn't have the legs he used to have. And you mentioned his ability to get outside the pocket being a pivotal part of his game. He doesn't have that part of his game anymore. Not to the ability that he used to have that. And for that reason, I am super low on Denver this year. Super low. They went out and they got Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey on the offensive line. A lot of analysts saying that that sure is up the front line. I don't think it does. You ask any Ford Niners fan, they hate Mike McGlinchey with a passion. With a passion. He has been absolutely abysmal for that team for the past couple of years. Defensively, I don't think we see any problems. You bring in Kareem Jackson, going to be a great safety addition there. Uh, PS2 is one of the best cornerbacks in football, we know that. My issue is at the head coach position and at the QB position, and can they function together? Independently, I think they're fine, but bringing it all together, I am so skeptical after what I saw last year, and especially with Wilson's decline, which it is a decline. If it wasn't a fluke last year, he is declining. I don't know. I, I bet the Broncos bring up the rear, bring up the rear of this division. I'm right there with you, actually. I have a hard time making predictions for this team just because I don't know if Russ's play last year was a one-off or if we're going to begin to see the decline from him. But, yeah, this team could be in serious trouble if they don't get off to a hot start out of the gate. Yeah. Jumping over the Chargers, and i got to start by saying, what the hell is Brandon Staley still doing as the head coach of this football team? That was ridiculous. He should have been fired in the offseason. However, there is still all the talent in the world across the field for this team. Just when we thought this receiver room couldn't get any better, they go out in the draft and they add Quinn and Johnson. There's a lot of talent for this Chargers squad on both sides of the football as well. They just need to be consistent, and it starts with Justin Herbert in this defense. If they can play as a unit and avoid the stupid plays, they will not only be a playoff team, but as much as it pains me to say, I would go as far as to say they are a Super Bowl contender. The, the talent's there. There's no question about it. So I'll keep my, my take on the Chargers short and sweet. You look at the defense, Khalil Mack, Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, Asante Samuel Jr., star-studded. You look at the offense, the wide receiver room, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Quinton Johnson, Austin Eckler, running back, Justin Herbert, a quarterback. Why this team isn't competing for a Super Bowl every year is beyond me, but it's not beyond me. I know why. And you mentioned it. What the fuck is Brandon Staley still doing coaching this football team? If he proved one thing last year, it's that he has no clue how to manage this team come crunch time. They had to make a miraculous play to get into the playoffs last year, just to get in there, and then they get in there, and they're up 27-0 on Jacksonville, and somehow managed to blow that lead. Beyond me, as long as he's there, the Chargers will underperform. Will they be in the postseason? Yes. Will they perform there? No. Brandon Staley, I don't think it's a hot take. He'll be gone after this year. He will be gone. And he, and he should have even honestly been gone after he lost to the Raiders in 2021 with Rich Passaccia. I mean, that was a ridiculous game. You have no business losing to an interim head coach. So ridiculous. horrible. So horrible. Speaking of the Raiders, they are my team. We got to touch on them here. Last, bringing up the last team on this list. This team has a lot going against it this year, whether it's the second toughest schedule in the NFL or the uncertainty with Jimmy G at quarterback. But I will say this, we return two of the most dynamic players in the NFL on the offensive side of the football, Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. I also believe this defense is going to be a lot better than people give credit for. Marcus Peters may be old, but he's still a great addition to the secondary. I expect Trayvon Merrick to be less aggressive and really hone in at the safety position this season. And of course you got Max Crosby, who is one of the best rush edge rushers in the league, holding it down on the defensive side. We finally had a good draft, man. <laughs> I mean, we got some impact players across the board, whether it be Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, Byron Young, Michael Meyer at tight end, but Ja'Cory Bennett is the big guy I'm looking for here. I think he's one of the most unrated picks of the draft. 
I'm cautiously optimistic about this team this season. Are we going to make the playoffs? No. But will we win some games no one expects us to be in? And unfortunately play our way out of the top 10 in this upcoming draft? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Tyree Wilson first and foremost. Uh, you, you and I both expected him to be wearing my team's jersey this season, the Seattle Seahawks. Instead, he's wearing that black and silver over there in Las Vegas. He'll be great. Jasper, if I could describe the Raiders roster in one phrase, it's work in progress. And you mentioned you expect the team to be better, especially on the defensive side of the football, and they, they very well may be. I want to believe it when I see it, though. I like Devontae Adams, how can you not? He's a threat to score, to score a touchdown whenever he touches the ball. Same goes to Josh Jacobs. I am really concerned about Josh Jacobs' durability this year, though. He was an absolute workhorse last year. And I expect that to be the same this year. The wear and tear is just a lot to take on the body. Max Crosby is going to be great. And Jimmy G, as much as you want to hate on Jimmy G, you know, pe people want to hate on Jimmy G, he's better for this team than Derek Carr was last season only because of the strife that Derek Carr put on the team. Not him, but the situation with him wanting to get out of there and... You know, the, the whole benching for the last two weeks of the season was the pro one of the worst coaching decisions I've ever seen. Like, you've got this guy who's been your, your franchise QB for eight years, and that's how you treat him when you're in the thick of a playoff race. Horrible, horrible treatment. Just a horrible locker room culture and, and feel towards the end of last season. All that's gone. Jimmy G's in. He's the guy. You know he's the guy. All the way throughout the season. Work in progress, but you're right. They're going to win some games that most people would not expect them to even be remotely close um, in contending in. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with Jimmy G, too, is he just understands McDaniel's system. Mm -hmm. You could see the clear disconnect between Carr and McDaniel's last year. It was more than apparent, just the fact that we blew every single lead we had. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, as I said, this team is a work in progress. You're absolutely right on the defense. We need to see it to believe it. I mean, I'm just more bullish on my team, but what can I say? That's the Raiders' bias, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping to the final standings projection, and I think we're both right here with it. I got the Chiefs in first, the Chargers in second, Raiders in third, and the Broncos bringing up the rear. Yep, 1-2 is pretty straightforward. There's a clear two best teams in the division. I've got the Raiders and the Broncos finishing with identical records, so uh, three or three and four can go either way, but I think each team goes 6-11 and 11 this year. I'm right there with you. I think the Raiders could probably play their way up to seven wins at the most. Anything else would be a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping over the AFC East, likely the most intriguing division in the NFL. You got the new look New York Jacks who have Super Bowl aspirations. You have the Bills who are finally trying to get over that hump and win Josh Allen his first Super Bowl. Then you got the Dolphins who are loaded with talent but have issues with consistency. And of course the, play the, the Patriots who have playoff aspirations as well as Bill Belichick likely on the hot seat this year. Whew, what a division, man. <laughs> Starting with the Jets who... We all know how you feel about Aaron Rodgers, Gab, but I'm starting to buy really buy into him elevating this team. Seems like he's a completely different person in New York and a guy who's really ready to lead this stacked offense. The running back room should be solid, especially with the addition of Dalvin Cook to weather that that initial injury of Brees Hall. Garrett Wilson will take the next step and be a top five wide receiver in the league this year, I have no doubt. The offensive line needs to hold up, though, specifically Mekhi Becton, who has had major issues with consistency. Defensively, this team is going to be raw. Talent at all levels of the defense. I'm not worried about them at all there. What do we feel about the Jets? <laughs> you know my stance there, Rodgers, so nothing, nothing needs to be said there. Although, the one thing we'll say, he is officially the oldest player in the NFL. Officially the oldest player in the NFL, which is uh, kind of crazy to hear. Um, but you mentioned the young talent. Garrett Wilson is going to be a top 10 receiver in the league this year. Sauce Gardner is already a top 5 quarterback. 
Um, Dalvin Cook will uh, bridge the gap between getting the season. They're going to be in the mix. There's no question about that. However, you know what? I am going to talk more about Aaron Rodgers because I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't get away from it. It's going to be great for him to have the reunion with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and for Nathaniel Hackett to prove that last season's struggles in Denver were a fluke or anything, because I do believe he's a great offensive mind. The thing about Aaron Rodgers is that when he's in a room, he believes he is the smartest guy in that room, through and through. And guess what? He very well may be, but when you have a guy like Robert Sala, who is, you know, a coach that wants his guys to buy into his culture, it's tough to do that when you have a player who wants other players to buy into his culture. I don't think this roster is as talented as the media is pushing it to be, although there is some there. I just see them being a middle-of-the-pack team this year. They'll be in the mix, but they will not exceed my expectations. Yeah, and I think this team has a very high ceiling, but a really tough schedule as they take on the NFC East in interleague play. I can see them easily making the playoffs, but I don't know how far they will go. Yeah, I bet their ceiling as a playoff team, even if they get in there, I don't think they get a playoff win. Um, and considering Aaron Rodgers' record in NFC Championship games, they certainly don't get the Super Bowl. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see with the Jets. I'm bullish, but I'm also a Rodgers hater. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, jumping over to a team that I do think will be in that contention with the Super Bowl, though, is the Bills. They're so close, man. I mean, we know what this offense can do when Josh Allen protects the football, and they just can absolutely mark down the field on you. I'm thinking, I think getting Dalton Kincaid was huge for them in this with a team, especially now that he gives Josh Allen a safety valve, so he doesn't have to force the ball downfield every play. Plus, he's still got Dawson Knox, who was a great safety valve as well. Who knows what this running back room is going to look like, but it doesn't really matter because the committee structure has worked for them for years. Defensively, this team looks to continue to succeed. Von Miller will eventually be back, and when healthy, he's a game-changer for this defense. Jordan Poyer re-signed to a super-solid secondary, and if they can continue to get after the QB this year, put the ball back in Josh's hands, they'll be just fine. They'll be just fine. However, I'm lower on the Bills this year, way lower on the Bills than I have been in years past. Only because I do feel like not only the rest of the division, but the rest of the AFC conference is catching up with this team. They're not catching up with Kansas City, but they're catching up with Buffalo. The loss of Tremaine Edmonds, in my opinion, cannot be overstated. Cannot be overstated. He is, or was, the centerpiece of that defense. You mentioned them getting after the quarterback. It's going to take a hit with the loss of Tremaine, with the loss of Tremaine Edmonds. That's for sure. Um... Neither talent nor experience, however, is a concern for this Bills team, but the margin for error is shrinking for this team, and that, that's what really concerns me. As long as they've got Josh Allen out there, they're going to contend not only for their division, but for the conference and for the Super Bowl. However, their schedule this year is the hardest in football. The hardest in football. I'm throwing out all these reasons right now, reasons why I love the Bills, reasons why I hate them, but... It's, it's hard for me to find where I fall with this team. One thing I know for certain, Dalton Kincaid might be my favorite pick of the draft. This guy is similar to what Brock Bowers is doing at Georgia currently. Has the potential to be a, he's not going to be Travis Kelsey, but that that type of a player in the type of way that he is used on this offense. So, love that pickup for them, but the margin of error for this team is shrinking and shrinking fast, and for that reason, I'm low on them. Very low on them this and I think I'm inclined to agree with you. I just think even if they can just scratch their way into the playoffs, they'll be fine mm-hmm. because they know how to win in those late games. I mean, 
The only reason they lost in 2021 is because of a coin flip, which, <laughs> I mean, the rules are the rules, but, you know, this team is really good. I think there might be a little disconnect between Diggs and Allen after that quick little spurt of offseason drama, but I still think McDermott has a really good hold on this team and its culture. I'm inclined to say they make the Super Bowl this year if they can beat the Chiefs, which is a big hit. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I'm definitely not there with you and on being that high up, that high on the Bills, but I am with you in the fact that if they can just scratch and claw the way to the playoffs, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping over to the Dolphins, and I gotta be honest, I love Mike McDaniel, but I'm not buying Tua, Gavin. I honestly <laughs> think he made an incredibly dumb decision trying to come back through from that head injury last season as soon as he did. The Dolphins, for, to me, are a flash, are all flash and no substance. Everyone's going to get their stats, but I just don't see it correlating to results in the win column. Tyreek and Waddle will both be a 1,000-yard receivers, but at what cost? The running back room is decimated. I mean, Salvin Ahmed looked to be the week one starter right now, running back. This team is also, I see them getting bit by the injury bug bad this year. You already saw it start in training camp with Jalen Ramsey going down. I'm really excited for Jalen Phillips on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's going to have a huge breakout year, but I need this team to be more consistent, and I just don't know if they have it in them. You know what, Jasper? I'm going to go on a limb here and say I love this Dolphins team. We'll get to our standings in a second here. Here's why I love them. We mentioned Jim Swartz as a huge defensive coordinator pickup, a guy that I think was even an even more significant hire. Vic Fangio is now the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. You pair that brilliant defensive mind with the even more brilliant offensive mind of Mike McDaniel, and they've probably got two of the best signal callers in football coaching on both sides of the ball right now. You're 100% right about Tua. I'm kind of bullish on him as well, but let's just say for a second, that there is a world that exists where he stays healthy because that world does exist. They're going to be decent. They've got explosiveness all over the field. Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle, those are two all-pro receivers right there. You look to the defensive side. Jalen Phelps will have a huge breakout year. Uh, they picked up Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, he's going to be dealing with a meniscus injury for the time being and won't be available until December, but he'll be back on the field at some point and he'll be a great piece of that defense as he was for the Rams the past couple of years. Um, you pair with him with Xavier Howard and Ryan Long and a very, very, very disruptive front seven. They've got the talent there. They've got the coaching. They've got the talent. You do mention the Achilles heel of this team, though, and that is when one person goes down, there's nothing behind them. And we're talking about Tua. We're talking about on defense, but primarily with Tua. If Tua goes down, this season is out the window. I'm going to say he stays healthy the entire year, and we'll get to the standings in a second, but... They're going to surprise some people. I like that take just because of the talent this team has. I just, I, I don't know if Tua can stay healthy, man. It's <laughs> such a big if for me. But, yeah, at best I'm wrong and this team plays up to its playoff potential. But at their worst, they're going to get injury-ridden and destined for underperformance. Mm -hmm. so another team that might be destined for underperformance this year is the Patriots. This team is in trouble. They missed out on the opportunity to get Mac Jones a playmaker at wide receiver. You sign Ezekiel Elliott, who has a fun wrinkle to this offense, but doesn't really give a team an edge. I think the bottom line here is the running game doesn't dominate. If the running game doesn't dominate on the ground, this offense is going to struggle to score, which is dangerous for a team that needs to make the playoffs to save Bill Belichick's job. Yeah, Belichick uh, already is and will be even more in the hot seat come season end. The one thing the Patriots have going for them is their defense is really good. They have, they have a talented defense, and Bill Belichick is one of the most brilliant defensive minds in football. That alone is going to keep them in games this year. However... You look at the offensive side of the football, and they're a shell of the Patriots we've come to know. 
Mac Jones is a question mark, and the Patriots did nothing to get him any help at wide receiver. They're going to be one-dimensional. They're going to run the football. It's going to be Ramondre. It's going to be Zeke Elliott. And it sounds like a similar version of the Tennessee Titans at a much more dumbed-down scale. They're going to bring up the rear of this division. The question is, can they get to 7-8 wins just on that defensive running game alone to be determined? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think they do have all the talent in the world on the defensive side of the football. I think grabbing Christian Gonzalez in the draft was huge for them. That was a guy I had circle on my list for the Raiders. But you're right. I think they're going to be a team that runs the ball effectively and plays solid defense. I don't think the strategy is going to get them to the playoffs. As sad as it is to say, we could be seeing the last of Belichick in New England if things do not work out. Jumping into the final standings projection, and I think we're going to be completely on completely different plays here. Because <laughs> I got the Bills, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Patriots. Yeah, uh, we agree at number four. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I've got the Dolphins taking the AFC East this year. I've got the Bills coming in at number two, and I've got the Jets coming in at number three. I'm crossing my fingers Tua stays healthy, and if he does, I think the talent on this Dolphins roster is the most explosive in the division, headlined by the two best coaches. Yeah, I can easily see that happening. So that kind of wraps up our, or that doesn't kind of, that wraps up our preview of <laughs> the AFC here. But before we jump into college football, we got to get y'all a little playoff projection. Now, Gab, I'm going to let you go first because I think you're going to have a lot of issues with my list. <laughs> my list is fucked. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, we were similar for for the most part on on our um, our standings by division by division. No, no, no. This is this is crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, starting at number one, uh, it's going to be Kansas City. There's not really much of a debate there. Uh, number two, I'm going Cincinnati. I think they finished the season around 12 and five, and they sneak in that second spot. At number three, give me the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they win 11 games this year. And at number four, I'm going to see the Miami Dolphins. Now, the wild card teams, I'm going with the Chargers. I'm going with the Bills. Two teams, unsurprising there. And scratching and clawing and sneaking their way into the number seven spot is Kenny Two Gloves and Company. The Pittsburgh Steelers are drawing the Cincinnati Bengals. Week one, postseason play, divisional matchup. Fire me up. I like that list a lot, and <laughs> it makes me really question my list. I have the Chiefs at one, the Bengals at two, Bills at three. Mm-hmm. Tennessee in that four spot. Then I have the Jets at five, the Ravens at six, and at seven I have Jaguars slash Steelers slash Chargers <laughs> slash I don't know what the fuck to put here because this this team, this this conference is so stacked. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line. It's stacked. So you sorry you had you had Buffalo at three, Tennessee at four, Jets at five. Jets at five. And who at six? Ravens. Okay, Ravens. Yeah, yeah. See, and yeah, it's 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 Jag slash 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 because I don't know. I think there's two clear-cut playoff teams in the Chiefs and Bengals. Um, sorry, clear-cut division winners there. But beyond that, this this conference could go so many different directions. It is so loaded. No, absolutely. So that officially wraps up our ABC, uh, our AFC preview. Jumping into a college football preview now. There's a host of really solid games on the slate heading into week one for college football. Obviously, we can't break them all down, so here are a few games that have our interest heading into the weekend and Monday. The first for me, Gavin is this University of Texas San Antonio versus Houston game. <laughs> On its surface, these games appears to just be another battle between two Texas opponents, but a closer look, and you'll just see this game is going to be a shootout for the ages. The line for the over is currently set at 70 points, and that is because UTSA offense is a high-powered touchdown scoring machine. The Roadrunners have an absolute dude at quarterback with Frank Harris, who quietly put up a 4,000-yard, 32-touchdown season through the air, 
Another nine scores on the ground last season down in San Antonio. Now, this team lost leading receiver Zachary Wilson, but Josh Cephas and DeCorian Clark look to pick up right where Franklin left off. They took. Then you look over at Houston, who quietly averaged 36.1 points per game last season. They look to, to possess a more balanced attack this season on offense and will play classic Big 12 football, running a high-potent offense and a bad defense. There will not be a lick of defense played in this game, and if you're a fan of fast points, watch out because both these teams are going to run up the score on each other quick. <laughs> yeah, it, and over it says 70 points is baffling, but for a good reason. Uh, Frank Harris is back for his seventh college football season. <laughs> we're looking we're looking at Stetson Bennett 2.0 right here, uh, the Walmart version, obviously. Um, but yeah, and this this Houston defense had a tough time getting into the backfield last season, so giving this guy all their throw is not going to be a good thing. Um, UTSA on defense, though, they're nothing special. Yeah. They got some veterans. They're, they'll be okay, but you mentioned it. This game is going to be an absolute shootout. Is is I think the spread's at two right now. If I if uh, maybe I'm mistaken on that. Let me let me let me double check. I think the Roadrunners are minus two and a half now. Yeah, I might be tripping. Yeah, and I couldn't tell you one with other a lean, but I might take the over seventy just so I can root for points because it sounds awesome. No, this game is just gonna be a fun one to watch, and it'll get you going early in the college football slate. Jumping over to another game that has our interest here, and it is Purdue versus Fresno State. Here we see the Boilermakers on major upset watch heading into week one. They're in a transition year with the departure of both their starting quarterback and Aiden O'Connell for the NFL, my Raiders, as well as the departure of their head coach, Jeff Brom. They come into this game running a fresh defense first scheme under new coach Ryan Walters, and they're rolling out Texas transfer Hudson Carter QB. Now, what sticks out to me the most about this game is their opponent, the Fresno State Bulldogs. They're coming off yet another 10-1 season. They're third in the last four. Fresno State is another team that is loaded with transfers but possess a really solid foundation on the offensive line and look to be locked in on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, everything you just mentioned, I agree with every, every statement. Uh, upset watch here, big-time upset watch. Um, it's an adjustment here for Purdue. You lose your head coach, you lose your, Q, your long-time QB, and that usually doesn't bode well in week one, when the line is only four points, you're at home, so you kind of... Oh, sorry, are they on the road or are they at home? I have no idea. I think they're at home. Let me see here. Let me see. They gotta be. A Midwest Conference or a Mountain West Conference yeah, team. Yeah, they're at home, so it's very easy to fall into a state of relaxation and comfortability. The one thing Purdue has going for him is Hudson Card. He'll be a great guy to trot out there and look to stave off what is sure to be a upset-minded Fresno State Bulldog team. Absolutely, I'm right there with you. I think I'm going to take the four-and-a-half spread on the Fresno State Dogs to cover in this game. I just think there's so much about college football that's about cohesion, and when you have both a new coach and a new quarterback and a new scheme, there's just going to be a little disconnect there, and I think Fresno State's going to absolutely take advantage of it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think we'll both be on that. Yep. Catching up with our good old friends, the USC Trojans, they welcome the Nevada Wolfpack to town as they continue their non-conference battles against the Mountain West. Now, the USC defense did not play well against the San Jose State Spartans last week. What are you looking for them to improve on this week, Gav? Stopping the fucking run. Oh my god, they gave up seven yards of carry to the San Jose State Spartans. Um, if Nevada comes in and does that... I am out on this team. Like it, it's they need to fix it and fix it now. We talked about it before the season started. Alex Grimm, who's the defensive coordinator, he's as bad as Brandon Staley is as 
for the coach there to, to be coaching the fucking the San Diego Chargers. Like the reason that the, him still being there in that program is beyond me. Yeah. Um, they're gonna win this game. The question is by how much and how many yards per carry will they give up? It better be less than seven. <laughs> it better be less than yeah. seven. Um, the offense is gonna put up points. They always do. Um, stay away from the spread and just look to enjoy a hopefully revamped USC defense. Yeah, and here's the good news for USC. The Wolfpack do not have a good offensive line, which bodes well both for the pass defense and the run defense. You want to know how many yards Wolfpack running backs averaged last year, Gavin? Tell me. 3.15 yards per carry. <laughs> so if USC allows anything more than that, I'm definitely out on this team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The bottom line is everything in this game is set up for the Trojans to succeed defensively. If they struggle to bounce back and once again let this team score 20 or more, I'm going to be really worried for this team heading into the conference play. Yeah, Caleb can only take it so far. And like, like we said, the, we know that the offense is going to score. I don't care. If, if, if you can't stop the run, you're not going to have any chance against teams like Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. And you're not going to have any chance come college football playoff time. Dude, Sam Hartman is and the Stine are going to wipe this team. Yeah, yeah. The way the way Audric Estime was running all over Navy the other day, serious concerns for that second half of USC schedule. Yeah. Keeping things in the Pac-12, another game that is going to be really fun is going to be Boise State at Washington. Here we have yet another team we expect to be really good in the Pac-12 this season, going up against a solid Boise State team that is expected to win their or their division or their conference. I'm tripping. The Huskies <laughs> coming to play currently as a 14 and a half point favorite. Which to me is a lot of points, Gavin, especially against the Boise State defense that held opponents to under 20 points a game last season. It's a lot of points. And you mentioned the defense. That's from eyes immediately dart to also. And here comes the Boise State ground game. They get back George Holani, who was an 1,100 yard back last year. Boise State was 9 and 0 last year, rushing for 148 yards or more. 14 and a half points is a lot. I get it. This Washington offense is going to put up points, um, as is every other offense in the Pac-12, and their defense is going to be better than the 2022 version. But again, similar to Purdue kind of falling into a lull, you know, against another Mountain West team that wants to uh, come in and upset a, a Big Ten team, um, this Pac-12 Washington team don't overlook the Boise State Broncos. They will be on the hunt for an upset. It's at home. It's in Seattle. It'll be easy to fall into a lull there. They got to avoid that. I want to see them come out strong. I want to see them win this game by three touchdowns. I want to see them cover that 14 and a half spread. I don't know if they will, but that would be a massive success to start this Washington season. I'm right there with you. This game is going to be a great early test for the Huskies offense, which we expect to be explosive. And while the Boise State secondary is going to be a formidable test for this team and Michael Penix's arm, Washington should be able to take advantage of this rebuilt defensive front and get Penix all the time in the world to throw the football. I can see the Huskies winning this game by 10, maybe 13 points. The 14 and a half is just too big a number for me, even at home. We expect, I mean, I expect the Huskies to play well later in the game, similar to what we saw from USC last week. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, well, you know, we'll get, we'll get to our picks here pretty shortly. Um, but yeah, upset watch here too. Not upset watch, but just if you're Washington, you, you cannot overlook the Broncos. Yeah. Another team where there's a big storyline heading this week, it's the Ohio State Buckeyes. They take on Indiana. The big story for this game for me is Kyle McCord as Ohio State finally named a quarterback. They settled on him as the starter for the 2023 season. Now, it was reported earlier in the month that Ohio State was considering a two-quarterback structure, and with the Buckeyes taking on the Big Ten opponent to open up the season, they aren't going to have much as much freedom as they would like to, I think, to test Kyle McCord out. He's going to get... 
He's going to get thrown into the fire here a little bit. Grand, this Indiana team is bad. Hence Ohio State being 30-point favorites. But I think there's definitely a world where we see Kyle McCord struggle a little bit before finding his footing in this game. Give me Indiana to at least cover the spread. Yeah, I the, the line is huge here at 30. And don't forget, Ohio State's going to Bloomington. They're not home in this game. And I had serious concerns for drawing a Big Ten conference opponent week one and trotting out two QBs. I don't care how bad Indiana is. Like, we know Ohio State's going to win this game. I'm looking for them to start gelling as a team because on paper, they're one of the most talented teams in the country. Probably top three in talent up there with Georgia and Alabama and Michigan as well. I want to see this team gel because by the time they get to the Michigan game at the end of the season, by the time they get to the Penn State game, by the time they get to the Notre Dame game, they need to be in full swing. Yeah, and I think the idea of starting Kyle McCord here is the fact that him and Marvin Jones already, or not Marvin Jones, Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. already have that built-in connection from high school. But, yeah, man, if they get stuck flip-flopping at quarterback, which is something I think a lot of the big teams in this, in this hunt for the college football playoff this year are going to struggle with, they could be in major trouble heading to Michigan, who already has a solid foundation with J.J. McCarthy over there. Yeah, yeah. Really want to see the Buckeyes start to gel and develop under McCord as their quarterback. Yeah. Jumping to the big games coming our way this Saturday, and probably one of my favorite of the weekend, North Carolina versus South Carolina. We begin with the Battle of the Carolina as the Tar Heels and the Gaycocks are set to meet at a neutral site here in Charlotte to open up the season. Now, and man, Gavin, if we thought this UTSA game was going to be all about offense, <laughs> I can't wait for this one. The over is currently set at 64.5. I expect both these teams to come out firing. Now, we talked about South Carolina having a solid secondary, but I think Drake May should have plenty of opportunities to get this ball down the field early and often. On the other side of the football, we talked about how weak this Tar Heel defense is. If Spencer Rattler is going to have the season we expect him to have and be the lead guy for the Gamecocks, it begins in Charlotte. This is by far my favorite game of the weekend. It's not even close. Um, two and a half points is the line right now, South Carolina being the underdog. Um, there will be no defense play. Zero defense. You, we, we mentioned the South Carolina secondary. It's good, and it will get better throughout the year, but drawing Drake May and that stacked North Carolina receiver core week one is not going to help their development. Well, it'll help the development, but they're going to get smoked. <laughs> and then you look at uh, the North Carolina defense you mentioned. We we agree they're bad. And you've got fifth-year Spencer Rattler coming back, looking to cause damage there. So excited for this game. I think it goes the other way. And if you like points, sit down on the couch for three hours and don't move a muscle because they're going to be flying early and often. This game is easily going to be a shootout for me. I could easily see the overcash in here. But I'm going to ride with the Tar Heels in this game for two reasons. One, Drake May is by far the more talented quarterback than Spencer Rattler. He's been more consistent for a longer period of time. And two, I think the Tar Heels are able to take advantage of the ground, of the game on the ground, which will allow them more opportunities on the offense against the South Carolina the defense that really struggles to stop the run. Yeah, South Carolina struggles to stop the run, and they struggle to run the ball. So if they want to contend in this game, they need to turn it into a shootout fast. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping over to the other game Saturday that is going to be a headliner, we got Penn State welcoming the Mountaineers into Beaver Stadium in prime time. Here we see another team with high expectations in Penn State taking on a formidable opponent to open up the season. Grand West Virginia will be nowhere near any good in the Big 12 this year. But still, with Penn State coming in as 20.5 points favorites here, here's what I want to see out of this team as they, because I see them making the playoffs, the college football playoff this mm -hmm. year. Number one, I want to see Nick Singleton and Katron Allen absolutely dominate this West Virginia team on the ground. The Madden defense has lost a ton of talent up front, 
and will not be nearly as physical enough to beat out the Penn State offensive line. Two, Drew Aller needs to show us he can do things that Sean Clifford cannot. West Virginia ranked 110th against the pass last season. Expect Drew Aller to get anything he wants downfield if he's truly as talented as we were told he is. And number three, defense. You don't have to keep this West Virginia team off the board entirely, but I need to see the stars show out. I'm talking Chop Robinson. I'm talking Kalen King. Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs should have good games against a disorganized West Virginia running back room. I like Penn State to dominate this game. Give me the Nanny Lions by 20 and a half under the lights. <laughs> We're so high on the Nanny Lions this year. They're talented all over the football field. And guess what? This is a phenomenal matchup for them. As you mentioned, this West Virginia team is not going to contend in the Big 12 this year. However, where they will excel in the Big 12 is in the offensive line. It's one, it's one of the best in the Big 12. And the running game. They run the ball very well. Well, guess what Penn State does very well? They stop the run really, really well. Michigan was the only team to put up 200 on the ground against them last year. And they got better since last year. The, running, the run defense is going to be even better. So what I expect from the, from the Nittany Lions in this game is to show West Virginia early, hey, you're not going to run football on us. Force them to throw it, and when they do, get into the backfield, sack the quarterback, cause havoc, and let their offense with all the young guys, with Singleton and Aller, show what they're made of and really make a statement week one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Drew Aller play. I mm-hmm. cannot emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. Jumping over to Sunday's game. The last Sunday without NFL football will feature the matchup of the weekend as number five LSU takes on number eight FSU in Orlando, Florida. This matchup essentially decides which of these teams' chances of making the CFP and exactly the type of test you want to see these two teams face with high ceilings but unanswered questions in week one. As of now, LSU currently sits at two and a half point favorites as they look to build off a solid 2022 campaign. FSU comes into this game with all the hype in the world as current favorites to break out and win the ACC. I think this game is going to be gutsy, man. I really do. you got two quarterbacks with Heisman aspirations looking to make a name for themselves in Week 1 with Jalen Daniels and Jordan Travis. I'm having a really hard time picking between these two teams right now, but I'm leaning towards Florida State for a couple of reasons. One, I think Florida State has the far superior running attack with Trey Benson in the backfield, while LSU is still searching for their guy in the ground game. And two, we talked about it in the SEC preview, LSU's secondary is the weakest it's been in years. And with Jordan Travis looking to show off his arm early and to open up the year, I think this matchup favors Florida State through the air. I am so torn on this game. More excited to just sit down and enjoy some great football because that's what we're going to see. The two of the best teams in the country going out of week one. College football playoff implications already. Just so excited to watch. You mentioned Florida State running the ball well. LSU stacks up well against that. They've got some incredible tackles led by Mason Smith. And if you can slow that ground game down and force Jordan Travis to throw it, we will really see what this LSU secondary is made of. I know we're both concerned about it, but it's LSU. They're a cornerback university. I have such a hard time believing that they're going to be a problem. But hey, you never know. You never know. Um, On the flip side of things, LSU is great when they run the ball well as well. And I know that that's one thing that we each want to see this year is to see them run the ball, not with Jaden Daniels, but with anybody else. Getting Logan Diggs from Notre Dame, I expect him to come out and make a statement in this game. However, Florida State is a very good football team, and they're more than just a running game. You've got Jordan Travis uh, and a great group of wide receivers led by Johnny Wilson, who's an absolute matchup nightmare. I'm so torn. This game is going to be phenomenal, and I don't have a pick for it yet, but 
Oh, if I had to lean one way, I think LSU gets their revenge. They, they, they got a bad taste in their mouth from the 24-23 loss last year, and I do think that they come out and they establish themselves as perennial powerhouses in the SEC, a loaded SEC, especially with the Bama team that has revenge, revenge in their mind as well. A loaded SEC, too, the team that's only going to be getting better next year. I'm right there with you, man. I'm not even touching the spread on this game. <laughs> I'm just excited to watch it watch these two teams play, and for that reason, I really like the over in this game at 56.5. Yeah, yeah. Got to be careful because the, the defenses are phenomenal, but offenses are great too. So If this game becomes a shootout, that thing's hidden. And the other, the only other reason I kind of leave the SF, FSU here is because I feel like Orlando does favor them as a home team in sure. a way. Yeah, but LSU fans travel well. Not yeah. a bit of a problem. Jumping over to Monday's game, Clemson ver- at Duke. The last game we're going to see to be breaking down for week one on this slate for y'all. Come your way Monday night. Now, Gav, I know these are two of your favorite squads coming to the 2023 season, so I'm just going to give you the floor here. Get after it. Yeah, I mean, where do I start? Um, the Duke Blue Devils, probably you know among those mid-tier teams, my favorite team in the country. I love what Elko's doing down there. Riley Leonard is better than everybody thinks he is. For Clemson... This game's all about the defense. Defense needs to show up and slow down this Duke attack that is going to try and control the clock and allow their phenomenal defense to stay on the sidelines and when they do get on the field, do work. The spread is, I think, two touchdowns right now, 13 points, which, again, this is another scenario where you have a team that people have high expectations for going on the road in their conference week one with the expectations to win and win by a large margin, Duke does not want to let that happen. They have expectations for themselves and it starts with setting the tone in week one early against a perennial ACC powerhouse. I want to see Riley Leonard have a good game and I want to see Duke keep it close. And that'll make, that'll make me feel good about my, my prediction with Duke getting seven or eight, maybe nine wins this year. Um, but I think Clemson does win this game. Closer than most people think it'll be, though. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't have too much to add. I really love the way these two teams match up. You got an unproven quarterback in Cade Clumbett going against an improved Duke secondary. On the other hand, you have a Duke team that's hungry to show last season wasn't a fluke and really make a statement in Week One. I think 13 points is absolutely attainable for Clemson, but given that Duke is at home, I expect them to make this game no easy task for the Tigers. Give me the Blue Devils to cover and Clemson to win this game by about a touchdown. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Yep. So that wraps up the games we want to look at for this week one preview, but we got some players to watch for y'all. And Gav, my first on the slate here is Big Joe Milton over in Tennessee. <laughs> We've heard all the hype in the world about this guy. Now it's time to unleash him. The Bulls take on a decimated Virginia squad. I want to see Joe Milton get the ball downfield early and often, utilize his receivers, especially the speed guys, and show the country why there's reason to believe Heupel's quick strike offense can carry over to the new with a new star under center. Yeah, we mentioned it during our SEC preview. It's Joe Milton or Bust for this Tennessee team this year. So it's going to be very, very important for him to get off to a good start. Um, I'll keep it in the SEC with the guy I'm looking forward to watching this week. It's not exactly going to be a big test for him, but I'm just excited to see Brock Bowers play football again. I mean, the, guy, the guy's one of the best talents uh, in college. He will be a top 10 pick in the NFL Draft come next April. Um, I don't even know who they're taking on. It's probably an FCS team. However, excited to see him um, and Carson Beck start to gel already and just do some things that we don't typically see tight ends doing. 
Absolutely. They should be excited to watch, even if they do take an FCS opponent on. <laughs> the first quarter will be watchable before everything just becomes Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at number two, I got the guy we were just talking about, Cade Clubman. I mean, hey man, the kid comes into the season with a very small resume and high expectations. He's got a solid challenge right out of the gate with Mike Elko's squad, and we're going to see if he can handle the pressure put on him by this Clemson fan base, or if the hype around him is too much to handle. We're going to find out, and what better way to test it than on the road at Duke. A very good Duke defense, by the way, in week one. Um, I will keep it in the big team category. I'll keep it in the big game category. I'm going to look at that LSU versus FSU game. Johnny Wilson, he's yep. six foot seven inches tall. And we just mentioned this LSU secondary being somewhat of a concern for us. Well, this is their test right now. Can you stop Johnny Wilson? He is an absolute matchup nightmare, and I want to see how he performs against an LSU secondary that, as we mentioned, could be weaker this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. My third guy to round it out, playing the homer card here, it's Tanner Mordecai. Wisconsin has a new <laughs> look offense, and it puts the <laughs> and it puts on the shoulders of the SMU transfer court at quarterback. He's got an easy opponent this week with the Buffalo Bulls. I want to see this kid dominate in this new offense and put the right foot forward and really establish this new era of Wisconsin football. Yeah, I, you know, as a Badger myself, uh, let's all in on Tanner Mordecai. Let's let's run that air raid. Let's score some points finally. It's been a long three years of no scoring. Yep. Uh, my third and final guy to watch, I'm going to keep it in the Big Ten. Give me a Hudson card. This Purdue team went to the Big Ten Championship last year. People forget that. They played Michigan in, in Indianapolis. And they are a new-look team this year, but they want to get back there. And step one is getting a Hudson card uh, in the swing of things, playing good football and leading this offense um, in a Big Ten West, which is weak, to say the least. Absolutely. And I think Purdue is definitely on the weaker side this season. And Hudson card, let's see what he's got, man. Let's see what he's got. All right. We're going to wrap up the show today with some picks for the weekend to get you guys back in the win column. And, Gav, I got one you're going to like here. Give me the U, minus 17 against Miami. Yes! Yes! Tyler Van Dyke is back under center, and this team should easily run it up against this Maxion squad. I know I'm not super high on them for this season, but I think the Hurricanes are getting a little underestimated in this game. Oh. I can see them easily scoring 21, if not 28 to 30. Yeah, I've been winning by three to four touchdowns. Uh, you stole one of my picks, so I'm not getting creative here, but you know how I love my Hurricanes this year. They're playing the the bootleg Miami, Miami of Ohio. This game won't be close. Chris the ball's gonna have the boys fired up. Van Dyke's gonna have a great game. Love that pick, Jasper. Love that pick. For my first, um, I am going to target. The Battle of the Carolinas, North versus South, just give me the over. It's self-explanatory. It's 64 and a half. It's so many fucking points. But guess what? There is a world in which both of these teams score 50 points this game. 32 a pop gets them there. Uh, they're they're going to do it. They're going to put up 70 combined. Give me the over. All offense, no defense. Drake May, Spencer Rattler, loaded receivers. Give it to me. Give me the points. Love it. Love it. I'm sticking with another game we covered here, and that is Fresno State spread and money line. Oof. I really don't think Purdue has a shot at winning this game comfortably. There are just too many moving parts for me on this Boilermaker squad. In week one, the Bulldogs are a more complete squad. Give me the upset. I like it. I like I, uh, the money line is a sprinkle play. I like it a lot. Um, I'm probably steering clear of that game, but I could be convinced to take Fresno as well. Um, I'm going to keep it in the games we talked about category, and I'm going to look to Monday. I know it's a little ways away, but 
Clemson's not beating Duke by two touchdowns. They're just not going to do it. Duke plus 13. I'm hoping we'll move to 14 with the amount of people that are going to be in on Clemson and out on Duke. But it's week one. It's on the road. It's in conference. And it's against a team that is incredibly underrated. Everyone's riding this Duke team off. Mike Elko is going to have the boys ready to go. Riley Leonard, master class loading. Duke plus 13. They'll cover the spread. I'm so fired up for that game, man. My last pick of the day is another team we love here, and that is the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Yes. Minus 14. We love the Red Raiders, but Vegas isn't sold on them yet. They will be after this week. Give me the Red Raiders to win this game by at least three touchdowns and a major confidence boost heading into next week's upset they're going to pull off in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> oh, yes. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, I love my Red Raiders. Love that pick. My third and final, um, I'm going to hit the audible button because I have Miami here. However... I got one in the, in the chamber. Cal Golden Bears. We touched on them briefly during our Pac-12 preview, and I said I love Sam Jackson at quarterback. I'm hearing some discussion from, from Berkeley, some rumors circulating that he's not everything they think he is. I don't give a fuck. I think he is everything we think he is. They're currently six-and-a-half-point favorites against North Texas on the road. The mean green are simply nothing to write home about. Cal wins game by a touchdown, nine times out of ten in my opinion. Six and a half is laughable. Um, if you want to play it safe and toss their money line into a parlay, it's only minus 250. It's a great parlay piece. But I'm taking the points all day long. Cal by seven. They're taking out the main green. Yeah, that's the other game I had as an audible on this thing. I mean, six and a half for a Pac-12 team versus Conference USA. Are yeah. you kidding me, yeah, man? ridiculous. What the fuck is that? Because Cal also has a great secondary, something we weren't able to touch on enough. If the Mean Green try and throw that football, there will be defensive scores all across the field. <laughs> and yeah, cool, cool prop bet right there. Cal defensive score, can't see the line on that. Oh, I love that. All right, well, that wraps up our show for what should be a just a fantastic weekend of football, man. I'm so stoked for this. We'll probably see you guys either Monday or Tuesday because we got to get that Clemson-Duke game in on the next show. Yeah. Either way, great to be back, and let's talk some more football coming up here. Yep.